Welcome everybody. I'd just like to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And I uh, would just like to start by um, having everybody introduce themselves. Kia ora. My name's Tamaire To from Ngaito, South Island Tribe. And we have a research centre at the University of Canterbury. Kia ora. Hi, Darren Russell, same tribe, South Island, New Zealand, live a little bit south from a smaller village to work at the University of Canterbury and our relationship with Tula. Kia ora. Kia ora, uh, Renata Davis from the same um, place, Ngaitahu, uh, from the bottom of New Zealand and um, I'm currently undertaking postgraduate study through the research centre. Kia ora. Wyatt Manny Jewels from Kamloops, uh, part of the Shushwap Nation. Great, thank you. So I'm wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about your purpose, uh, the reason that you came to visit Canada. Oh, from our end, we're, we're, um, we're really interested in the, the ideas of jurisdiction, uh, title on the reserves, and the economic development theories. Because we come from the opposite end of the tribes here, where our tribe has what we'd call corporate wealth, but it hasn't necessarily configured community reserve development. And, and we're here because we actually find the ideas here fascinating, and I think they're a good way to build economies for families upon reserves. How did the partnership between um, Tulo and the work that you guys, how did uh, everybody meet up and what was the process that led us to um, this visit today? Uh, well, I would uh, started working with a, an individual from uh, uh, Stanford University or attached to Stanford University by the name of Terry Anderson. And he invited me to speak at a conference in Bozeman, Montana. And at that conference, one of the reasons I decided to go was because Tamari was going to be there and I was very interested in what Tamari were doing and how uh, their journey would affect our journey here in, in Canada. And so I that was the compelling reason why I went to, to Bozeman. And uh, it was a very interesting conference uh, at that time and had a chance to meet with Tamari and others. And, and since then, it's um, there's been an ongoing development of ideas because I actually see these ideas as different from most indigenous development theories that have a long concentration on culture and social engineering, where everyone, I think, tends to miss out on real economic issues that frame the reserves. And I think if, well, we think, I think, that if we get the reserves and the infrastructures developed upon the reserves, that's where you get your economy. Um, and I guess we're a bit jaded about cultural indigenous workshops that go on and on about ideas of sovereignty. But I think, and we think, um, sovereignty is really a byword for ignoring the reality in the reserves and in the villages where you can build local jurisdiction, local governance within your communities. And we see that's the trick for development here. But Darren may have some other views and Renator as well. Yeah, I think from my end, I was very lucky to catch the end of the Bozeman conference. Um, and from my perspective, I think the idea of revolution isn't going to come from within inside our own communities. I think as Ngaitahu, we showed a level of resolution in our settlement with um, the Crown or the government um, over years of grievances. And as Tamaiti highlighted, clearly established a corporation as partly a revolution to the idea of what our traditional frameworks were. 
But unfortunately, I think our, that same corporation has now become a pseudo state entity type thought and process and organization. And I think the revolution aspect that Manny, Tamaiti, Terry, Mike, and others that we've been talking about is. I think, as Tamari rightfully recognised, it's a completely different theory. There's nowhere else to look at this type of model. It isn't about just identity, language, and song. It's actually about fundamental well-being and community, which includes economics as its underpinning. And that's a complete flip from the rest of the model. And I think we have seen that evolution in our conversation to this meeting and the idea of more formalizing the alliance and conceptual ideas that it represents. And one of the, of course, after Bozeman, we've met a couple of times uh, talking about different issues. And, and Tamari, at, at one point, had come up to Kamloops to visit uh, myself, and, and my dad was still alive then. And I always remember uh, that that breakfast we had at Scott's, uh, me, you, and Dad. And uh, here's uh, this guy uh, from New Zealand, the Maori, acknowledging my dad's work here in Canada. And he's, he gave, uh, Tamari gave my dad a ponamu. And my dad's admiring it and looking at it. And he says, oh, God, this is fantastic. And who is it for? And Tamari said, it's for you. He said, for me? For what? And it is, he said, because of all of the work you'd done. And so when I was uh, young, uh, one of the things my dad would always impress on me, uh, after I would go to a meeting, he'd always come back and say, does he think like us? And that was important. Uh, in, initially, I didn't get the nuance of what that meant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go to a meeting and I'd say, Dad, we're talking about the same thing we did at the last meeting. And I said, how come we can't make any movement? And he said, son, it's because of philosophy. And so we'd always revisit. After a meeting, I'd go back and we'd always have breakfast or we'd take a drive. And that was be one of the first things. Does he think like us? What does he, what's his worldview? And when I had the chance to go to New Zealand uh, last February, it, it was like one of the most uh, special times of my life, being able to meet uh, with, with the Maori communities and recognize that so many of the issues are like ours, you know, the, the reserves. And most people don't recognize the fact that we all have reserves. And one of the first questions Tamari asked is, what is the number of your reserve? You know, and the, mine, ours here in Kamloops is 688. You know, and so, so many similarities. The community structure is very similar. The traditions, even though they're, you know, an ocean apart, are similar in the fact that we're joined by the Pacific. It doesn't divide us. And out of that, uh, you know, those, I, th I think that really solidified our, not only personal working relationship, but also the, grounded us in the philosophical approach that we've got to take. Having worked um, together now for some time, um, as Manny just said, there's lots of similarities and there's also lots of differences. I'm just wondering if you guys can extrapolate on some of the things that you've noticed that's very similar and very different um, about Maori culture and where you come from compared to what you've found here. Uh, I, I think there's probably more similarities because we've got an, the British Empire 
colonised, but they also set up reserves. So we're from a reserve. Our number is 873. Um, these are rural communities. Most of our villages are rural communities, and we understand small communities trying to develop. Um, the difference, we have a huge corporation, but it's a corporation without jurisdiction. So essentially, we play within a white game of economic development. We spend huge amounts in the New Zealand economy. We're really quite beneficial to the New Zealand economy, but it's not the same as benefiting our people, which is why I do, which is why we like the ideas here, because we can see um, you don't have a huge tribal corporation here, from what we see, but you have something we don't, which is jurisdiction. And that's an, that's an issue that's an important one because you need to manage and control your own economy. Probably, uh, I mean, the sentiment, we come from the same community, so it's hard to sort of not feel like repeating. Uh, the other thing that I probably most creates an appetite for me in, in the synergy part um, is the idea of disruption. I think we are quite insular and we are very much confined by our own thoughts. The appeal to the theory here about jurisdiction is one that will be challenging to not only our own families and communities, but I would argue partly our corporation because it requires change and it will require a different form of leadership, a far more aligned traditional leadership, village-driven, local-driven, integrated with others, but actually flips the problem that we've got into a solution. And I mean, for me, that's, that's the biggest piece of synergy, the underlying valuable, uh, valuables, the underlying values, the conceptual ideas about what underpins reciprocity in economics with social um, and environmental sort of development is what creates the economy. We, should, we as an indigenous population, those are, those are overwhelmingly similar. <laughs> and I think that's what underpins. But the disruption model is what I like. Most of the thinking sits inside the box at the moment. This doesn't. Well, and also it's, it's the, still the link to the land. You know, one of the things I, I always find fascinating when I visit Indigenous people uh, all over the place is the connection we've had to the land, not only on a spiritual level, but economically. And also the fact that in... When I visited uh, New Zealand, it was all about the mountains, you know, where your ancestors came from and your link back there. And the, one of the stories I've got here from my own community is people call it Mount Peter and Paul, but it's really a chain of smaller mountains, and that's our Mother Earth. So it's a, a, lay, a pregnant lady who's laying down. You can see her head. You can see her breasts, her pregnant belly, and her feet. And for us, that's, that's our connection back to this land. And what's happened uh, to us is we've been virtually uh, legislated out of the economy. So our struggle here is like yours is getting back the jurisdiction that we, we know is rightfully ours, but we also know that we have to play in a bigger sandbox with, with the other levels of government and we have to create mechanisms by which we could be, rebuild our economies and also establish trade networks not only for economic purposes, but I feel one of the most important ones is because of our intellect. You know, lots of people 
don't realize that we need that exchange of intellectual uh, knowledge uh, to strengthen our own identities and how we're going to be able to move forward. So I think that one of the things that we're going to be doing uh, through our working relationship, I believe, is having not only an approach uh, for jurisdiction, but also uh, grounded in a solid approach that's unlike a lot of others that I've seen. Yeah, so the, the, the theory's quite different that we want. Look, so, so when you go to most economic development conferences with Indigenous peoples, the, the theories will go around the same things. One is education and language, and, and they're all important. The language and culture and education are important. But you're never going to solve an economic problem on the reserves by giving everyone a scholarship, you know? And there's some dominant theories we've got to get rid of. So, and one of them is... Um, educate everyone. But that's really a middle-class solution to the economic problem. And all we're doing is training our students to become white people, servicing the white community. The other thing is um, scholarships is the other one. And then there's the dominant theory that you always get with white agencies or governments, the way to solve poverty is to teach an indigenous person how to fish, not give them a fish. Now I come from an indigenous community. <laughs> This guy here comes from a from a people, and it'd be shocking for us to go down there and teach them how to fish. I don't know any indigenous people that live next to the sea, or a river, or a lake that don't know how to make a net. <laughs> so we don't really need white people showing us how to make a net. Um, what we need is ownership of the fish, the lake, and everything else, which is property. And then what you need around that property right is legislative framework. So every time, in my class at least, when you hear someone say, oh, we've got to teach them how to fish. No. <laughs> we know how to do that, thanks. <laughs> On your bike, Jack. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, it's... When, when I think about uh, the challenges that, that we face, and, and one of the biggest challenges right now in, in Canada is over an, a very important inquiry on murdered missing women. And I've been telling audiences right across the country that the most responsible people to look after our, our Native women, our children, our grandmothers, our families, is us. And at the end of the inquiry, what's going to happen? They're going to have to be asking the federal and provincial governments for funding to yeah. put in place to take care of those problems. When in fact, what we need is jurisdiction, not only within our reserve lands, but extending that to our traditional lands so that we would be able to really take advantage of the bounty that's taken from those lands so that we can build institutions that can service all of our needs. Uh, and we can do it, you know, we, and we've done it. That's that's the incredible thing. And that's probably the other thing where economic development theory at the moment is simply different indigenous groups going off to the crowd for funding. And I think most of our reserves have enough assets and capital. What we don't have is the capacity to access it, regulate it ourselves and to develop for ourselves. So for example, at home, we've got a real housing crisis, but we don't have a shortage of land. <laughs> We've got enough land to suit ourselves, but what we need to do is integrate the system for ourselves, where we free up the land 
for tribal members. No, it's it, like I, for me, it's always incredible how you know all of the issues are pretty similar. You know, from the, the health to the education, all of those things. What struck me uh, was the incredible amount of economic development that you've achieved through your corporations. You know, multi-million-dollar, billion-dollar operations, and that's really impressive to look at. But the challenge that you've got is you've clearly stated is how you can change that to bring it back to the community level. We've got a little bit of a different issue where lots of our communities have been isolated like oh. yourselves and some of them are fly-in communities and that's our big challenge. You know, how do we build infrastructure? How do we bring standards uh, and, you know, create uh, individual wealth and individual uh, approaches to a, a new way of thinking and part of that is you know obviously national institutions but what we're going to be creating through our partnership is a true international approach that we hope will take root and obviously uh, you know last a lot longer than our lifetimes hmm. uh, what I think we're looking at is local government not national or federal, but local governance over our own lands and assets. Yeah. That's pretty much it, and realising the wealth in there. The current alternative I think we face is just to become the brown government, worried on social issues through grants and subsidies, replicating non-Indigenous theories, and end ourselves in exactly the same position that we find ourselves and have found ourselves for the last two centuries. This completely changes that. And that internal conversation within ourselves to bring that understanding forward is going to be one of the, I think, revolutionary parts that philosophically change statehood and nationalhood as it relates to us and as it relates to the communities in which we live, which include people that aren't us. Well, and, and I absolutely agree. Even though I said we have to create national institutions, the purpose of those is to service the local community. That's ultimately where the jurisdiction lies. Yeah, I, I, um, and I think Darren's right. The, the mistake that we make is we, we confuse social, no, economic development with us becoming a brown social welfare agency. And the tendency for us now, now thinking is, the only way we're going to solve the poverty on our reserves is they become wealth generators in their own rights as opposed to recipients of welfare benefits. The interesting thing though, on our reserve, there's not many on welfare because I've got an ethic of working and, and everything else. The, um, the real problems I think come when our lot are urbanized and they lose a real connection with their environment and their communities and actually the basic things on how to survive, you know. So you'll have all of our elders, some elders living in the city without any wood and cold homes. It simply wouldn't happen on a reserve. There'd be no elder in our reserve with, without wood for the fire. But that's because we take care of our own. And I think that's part of the philosophy here. I think we can do it internally if we have a degree of self-government. One of the other fascinating things I witnessed uh, in, in the, uh, on the South Island uh, was this notion of 
how you identify yourself. So in Canada and the United States, what's happened is everybody is status, non-status, six two, six ones, all of these different uh, categories of being Indian or First Nation. Whereas you folks have said, if you identify and through your whakapapa can trace back your history, you're considered Maori. And that's something that I think is a big lesson for us to take. Because what happens in our communities is a lot of people are ostracized uh, for being of mixed blood. And that shouldn't be the case. If you identify yourself as being shuhamu, that's what you should be. And, you know, that's, that took a lot of courage for you to do that. And the, and the other thing I think that's been fascinating is, you know, the reconstruction of the language, you know, not reconstruction, but salvaging and making sure that it's a, it's a living part of, of uh, the country. And just like when you first arrive in New Zealand, it's all about your culture. And we've seen that starting to happen here. You know, uh, the provinces, the states are... are using uh, indigenous identity as a way of, I guess, selling the, you know, their hospitality and whatnot. But it reflects the, the reality that you have economic power. You know, it just doesn't happen you know, because it isn't there, you know. But isn't that the irony? In an international context in New Zealand or when a visitor comes to New Zealand, they see indigenous as being part of that um, identity um, and or economy that drives the country, yet inside it is the complete opposite, and many you reference that here. So I can see it when I arrive in yeah. British Columbia and land at Vancouver and I can see art, yet I know the reality is completely different. Yeah. And I think this theory tries to relinquish the expectation that we can't fix the poverty or fix the social issues that underpin the nation's descent in terms of being overrepresented in every social indicator. In fact, turn it around and saying, that's because we're underperforming on this other side. Relinquish that authority and we'll take the responsibility. That reciprocity goes two ways and we're very keen to confront and I think revolutionize how indigenous populations are seen and partly some of that revolution is for our own communities to understand what we should be doing. Because some of that challenge is not just with the state, it's with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're going to have a quiet revolution <laughs> over the next 10 years. <laughs> and, um, but but it's, it's running on a general theory. I, look, Pākehā tend to see Indigenous groups as a threat to the sovereignty. Where, um, and the other view is the poor are always wanting to take some, someone's assets. I think it's wrong. I, I think, really, Indigenous peoples want to be part of the economy. It just needs to be framed around their way. So, <laughs> and the problem is the idea of sovereignty that's been going on for the last two, three decades. You know, where it's, a, it's seen as a threat to the nation-state. Our tribe's completely committed to the nation state, but what it wants is jurisdiction and authority over it, what it owns. And that's quite a simple, clear message. And we need the frameworks, which is where, what we see with the, um, the Chile Research Centre. They've already got the foundations and the planks for building it. And there's no use in rebuilding something twice. So mm. and we're, we're launching the idea in January in Washington. 
it's an alliance between the Tulo Research Centre, our research centre and, and Canterbury University um, and other possible partners. There's the Hoover Institute at Stanford and it's to, um, it's to reconfigure the debate in the next, I think, decade, two decades of economic development amongst Indigenous peoples. That's it. Well, the, the, the institution is the Alliance for Renewing Indigenous Economies. Uh, we just uh, launched the, uh, the webpage, I think, today, or just the, in the last little while. So it's brand new. And, uh, you know, the, the, the detail really uh, is formalizing the, the working relationship and making sure that all of our partners know exactly what, what we intend to do and then begin to reach out uh, uh, to other potential groups and partners that we will be able to, to work with. The, the, aim, the aims of the Alliance um, simply fall probably into a couple of different categories. Um, one is about um, some underlying research that underpins this thinking. Part of it is to develop programs in education which provide for policy reform, either internally or externally of the partners or the communities. Um, and the third part is, is to just sort of derive that value in practice. So it's not just a research theory activity, look at the natives, see how they run. It's actually running with the natives in the redesign of achieving their own aspirations for sovereignty. So the Alliance is working with like-minded, um, philosophically driven and revolutionary in terms of seizing those rights that exist for the betterment of our own communities and the communities who live amongst us. And that's pretty much what we um, endeavoured to formalise this morning and um, we'll look to sort of create a structure around and launch from beginning of next year and start delivering programmes too within that same period. I think there's three stages to this, okay? One is the 19th century, we were colonised. 20th century, there was moments, well, there was talk of decolonisation. didn't really happen in, in the Commonwealth. But... Um, Indigenous groups adopted Western institutions, which is what we have. The challenge in the 21st century is to indigenize those institutions and the economy. So what does an indigenous economy look like? What does an indigenous corporation look like? And it's got to be something more than just putting decorations around the, the chief executive's office. It means saying, do we have a chief executive? Um, what do we do with our profits? What do we do? How do you structure yourself in an indigenous corporate, you know, corporation? Those sort of fundamental questions are. I actually think would we would go back to an early form of corporation, pretty much like the Dutch early English systems, where they benefited the communities. All of those rich, wealthy corporate corporation leaders in the nineteenth century were firmly located in their communities, but somewhere along the line, they got captured by international standards and they no longer became relevant. They became an international elite. I think at the moment we measure success by corporation wealth. This um, concept, I think, tries to take corporation wealth because we don't dismiss the idea that economics doesn't underpin our well-being. But it must also undertake uh, and incorporate our individual wealth of our members. So if we think about that, which is often isolated from it. 
And then if in a balance sheet model, you then took off the well-being, so your negative indicators in social well-being was the, the, the expense side of your balance sheet, what you're left with is your um, tribal economy. Now, if you can say there's nothing to be taken off in the end and measure the other two at tenfold what the corporation's worth, you've got a thriving economy. An Indigenous tribal economy is not, not built by Indigenous scholarships in giving Indigenous people a need to fish. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Enjoy the rest of your um, visit to Canada and we'll wish you safe travels home. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>